at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to the It's About the Money Stupid Podcast. My name is EJ Fagan. Today I am joined by Dominic Lanza. Hello, EJ. How are you doing today? I am doing great today, Dominic. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And we are also joined by Scott Moss. Hey, guys. Scott, uh, I uh, uh, as the two non-East Coasters out here, I think we're enjoying the not blizzard. I don't know about Dominic. Uh, I got, by the end of the afternoon, actually, I had no snow. It all got rained away, so I was in the lucky part of Long Island that really uh, ended up with nothing. It's just cold and wet. See, I, I have the problem that my air conditioner broke last week, and it is incredibly hot in my apartment while we're waiting to fix it. So, um, that, uh, so I'm sorry for everybody who's, uh, who's, who's, who's uh, enjoying, uh, not enjoying the weather out there. We're going to talk about uh, some World Baseball Classic today. Uh, some exciting stuff. Uh, before I, but before we go into that, our podcast is sponsored by SeatSwapTickets.com. If you want to go to SeatSwapTickets.com slash members and use the promo code SWAP, you can get uh, uh, all of your fees waived uh, from their site while they're in beta. Uh, it's an exciting website. We're going to have a segment in the middle of this podcast where I interview the creator of SeatSwapTickets and we talk about Yankee Baseball, his website, um, and a couple of other things. So it should be a lot of fun. But uh, World Baseball Classic. So... A week ago, just a week ago, we recorded a podcast, and and I I think I think the general theme was okay. The World Baseball Classic is going to be in, is going to be neat, right? Uh, how do you guys feel about about the World Baseball Classic a week later? Uh, I guess I'll jump in. I've watched about I'd say about three quarters of the games. I've watched every Team USA game, and for some reason that I really don't know, I've watched all of Israel's games too, <laughs> I guess because they were the little team that could. So they were kind of an interesting, interesting story, you know, considering there are no Israeli players on the team. And I think, was it something like only two of the players had ever even been to Israel before something like that, but oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. These games are, most of them are very exciting all of the players have energy, even the sort of player that, you know, you don't really expect it from. I mean, Team USA, you saw guys like Eric Hosmer freaking out, which is something you've never really seen before. Um, and it's just, it's nice to see baseball be so exciting when it's not, you know, game seven of a World Series or extra innings. I just don't think, I think this is kind of showing us that playoff energy and close game playoff energy can be sustained for a longer period of time. But it seems like baseball kind of likes to shy away from it. I was actually talking about Bryce Harper from, I think it was spring training last year when he was wearing that make baseball fun again hat. It just really brought that to mind because I just don't see why this sort of behavior is, it seems discouraged by managers and owners and everything. And the Clint Frazier haircut that I really don't want to talk about beyond saying <laughs> that right there is kind of, you know, endemic of that. Scott. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I, was in this excitement kick about Team Israel. And yes, they had 
it was either zero or one Israeli player because at first they had one, but I don't know if he stayed on the team. I lost track of roster moves, but I loved it. I think it's great if baseball gets more attention in more countries because while it's super profitable and still reasonably popular in America, it's there's such a striking gap between how few other countries care about it. So yeah, to the extent we can get Israel to care about it, um, that's a good thing. And same with the Netherlands and Taiwan as a league, but it's less prominent. There are a couple of problems though I think we saw in it. First, there's the um, lack of Major League Baseball pitchers who were going in. That's probably not fixable because it's just not worth having Tanaka and Kershaw and Harper and Trada there because at a 10 star, someone will get a pulled hamstring and everybody will freak out. Um, on the other hand, yes, people could get hurt in spring training, but they get more excited like you guys are noticing. That's cool, but here in Colorado, we were freaking out that Nolan Arenado, when the catcher dropped the third strike, sprinted to first and did a head first slide in the first base. <laughs> and everybody's going nuts about how awesome that was, but they were also going nuts for, you know, uh, ah, what do we do about that? Yeah, it was a great play. Yeah, it was, but you know, that you can see that there's some logic behind not letting the pictures go. Um, there are some other things that are fixable. They have this really dumb tiebreaker rule. Did you see this? Uh, Mexico and... Oh, I mean, the, the DR kind of made up for it by hitting like 45 runs or home runs in that in that inning. But yeah, uh, just but the, yeah it's just stupid. I like that their tiebreaker rule is if three teams have a one and two record, then it oh, goes sorry, to that tiebreaker. Oh, sorry. I'm yeah, thinking which, of the extra innings thing. Whichever teams, you could see them going by run differential or something. But instead it was whichever team has allowed the fewest runs. And if there's a tie for that, it's whichever team allowed the fewest earned runs. And if there's a tie for that, it's whichever team has had a better batting average. Which is bizarre as a tiebreaker. Just go by run differential, right? Um, uh, I guess the nice thing about batting average is that it's almost impossible for it to, to for them to, to tie. Yeah, so it's basically a coin flip. Right. So you, third. Do, so you do run differential first, and then batting average, or whatever second. But the bigger thing that I'm hopeful about in the long run is that this is great, it's fun to watch. But the main utility of it, and the reason baseball is throwing money and resources at it, is to build it up in other uh, countries. It's not 100% clear that's working. So the Israeli baseball team was exciting and all, but and Netanyahu uh, tweeted some congratulations to them. They asked the Israeli sports minister about whichever big win it was that Israel first had. I think when they first made it out of the first round. The Israeli sports minister had no idea this team existed. Now, my first question is, wait a minute, Israel has a sports minister? And my second question is, okay, if you're the sports minister, you have a fairly limited range of things you have to know about. Right? One of them would be a national team in some international competition from your country. Right? So, and then, so it's not clear it penetrated 100% like we thought it might. And then as far as the Netherlands, look, they just beat Cuba, made it to yet another round. They were a good team. I did a little research, by which I mean I Googled for Netherlands newspapers that I could access on the web in English. I found two. Um, I have no idea if they're prominent. Uh, there's one that's called DutchNews.nl. And uh, the other one is nltimes.nl. So take it for what it's worth. It's two things I could find that had an English translation. I went to the sports page of, one, of them both. Neither of them had anything about the World Baseball Classic. Yet they did have articles entitled, Stuntman Breaks Both Arms in Publicity Jump from Amsterdam's RAI Tower. And then they also had, <laughs> they had football arrested, footballer arrested for headbutting referee. I would love so, to see both of those videos. On the one hand, those are kind of cool. On the other hand... You know, those beat out the World Baseball Classic. So it's, I, so it's not clearly penetrating. 
So I, I think that the the markets that that uh, you, well, yes, it, it'd be nice to kind of inculcate these games in other places, but I, I think there's kind of two things that, that are going on. One is you're strengthening the 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 games where where they're already strong, right? So this is something that people in Korea are paying a lot of attention to. Taiwan, yeah. they're paying a lot of attention to Japan. And I think it, it definitely it connects those games to the major to major league baseball is kind of one big global event. Um, the other thing is I think is it, it it's energizing people in the United States. Um, who are um, who are you know first or second gen- generation immigrants from those other countries? So I mean, if you if you watch the, the the game in Miami, the DR versus the United States game, that place was packed and that place was loud. I mean, it was the I think that had the highest attendance of any game at, at that ballpark in a couple of years it's been there. Um, and you know, there were just so many like young, energetic Dominican people there. That I mean, maybe they're all baseball fans, but I I, I doubt that I doubt that. Um, you know, young, the younger generation of Dominicans are immune from the decline of baseball in the younger generations that, that in other demographics. So I think it, it helps connect them to the game and, and, and you know, generates that kind of an, an excitement. And frankly, I think it's kind of low cost for baseball, right? I mean, you know, yeah, there's a couple of guys will probably get injured, but people get injured during, during regular spring training too. And, you know, this is, they're not, they're not losing any games. It's not, it's not like it's the, uh, it's like the, it's the Olympics and they would have to, if they were to participate, they'd have to cancel a couple of weeks of games. You know, this is, this is replacing spring training. The one thing yeah. I want to, sorry to interrupt. The one thing I want to add, just because uh, I felt the need to try to prove somebody wrong tonight. And Scott gave me the <laughs> opportunity very, very soon. The You're biggest, welcome. The most widely circulated newspaper in the Netherlands is the Telegraph or in Dr. Messinger's pronounced De Telegraph because there's two A's. <laughs> um, their landing page is all about the honkballers of Netherlands. So I'm pretty sure that it's being Wait, discussed. The honkballers? In, in the Netherlands, baseball is called honkball. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I have no idea how to pronounce it. That could be why my searches didn't work. Okay, good. But yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's also the Netherlands is another one of those countries that I mean, I, I think people on Curacao and Aruba are Dutch citizens. I'm not sure if they are. It might just be a territory where they're not citizens. Yeah. But the mainland Netherlands, where most of the people who read the the, the, the Telegraph are, um, aren't aren't really on this team. It, it's I, I suspect on those islands, this is huge. Um, but I mean, it's crazy. on the front. It's on the front of the sports page of oh, their most widely oh. circulated newspaper. That's great, and and, and, you know, and this is, they have their own major league baseball league there. It's called Honkball Hoof de Classe. There's <laughs> eight teams, and they've also had an election leading up into this all this too. So it's been a busy a busy week for them. I mean, do we want um, to talk about the teams in the league because they have some pretty fancy names? I I've, I I, uh, I sent around on the last podcast a, a picture of one of their stadiums, which was uh, not impressive. <laughs> um, but yeah, give, give, give me this, give me some names. Uh, they have the Hoofdorp, Vasen Pioneers, the oh geez, I'm not even going to try that. Uh, the <laughs> Rotterdam Curacao Neptunus, the Dordrecht Mampe Hawks, and something called Utrecht UVV. Nice. And, well, yeah, and like, like I said, it's it's incredibly popular among sports fans there, as far as I can tell, because. I mean, honkball's pretty big ever since uh, <laughs> Burt Blylevin made the Hall of Fame. Because he's apparently been like an ambassador to it in his in the country, even though he wasn't born there. Pitching coach for Team Netherlands. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think that I, I think that it's a. I think it's a good. I think everybody agrees it's a good event. It's an event that's gotten better. I was a little worried that it, I, I thought kind of when when the World Baseball Classic debuted, it'd be kind of a flash in the pan thing. 
I think that's clearly not the case, and I think it's clearly a, a success for Major League Baseball. I want to see baseball in the Olympics. I don't know about you guys, but I mean that—that's just—it's just this is just begging for it. Well, I, I'm skeptical of the Olympics, so but I totally agree with with uh, your point, EJ. And um, I was going to follow up and say, even though it's being a bit of a wet blanket, that I think that even though there's some challenges in working it out, I think that it's a good expenditure of money because, like you're saying, it can solidify the popularity or increase it in the countries that already have or are growing a baseball tradition, whether places where it's been there for a while, like Dominican and Curacao, or places like Korea and Taiwan where it's still growing. And, you know, if it's hit and miss in the Netherlands and Israel, it's still better than nothing. And I'm actually glad to hear I was wrong in my quick searching because I just didn't know that it was called hunkball there, which is awesome. But I think that, yes, baseball is so much money that if it costs them a couple million dollars to grow potentially another generation of fans, that'd be terrific. I'm still skeptical of the Olympics because World Baseball Classic does well in part because despite the uneven number of countries it goes up, it goes down, that have baseball, they're doing a good job of letting, say, Francisco Cervelli play for Italy because he uh, is of Italian descent and could get citizenship there, and then the Israeli team and similar. So I think that in the Olympics it would be more glaringly problematic if there's so few countries that play baseball. Whereas here, that's fine. If you want to only have X teams, that's, you know, sufficient. All right, so... um Favorite moments so far. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, with my favorite moments. I just loved the entire DR USA game, even though we lost. Um, you know that game was exciting and tense, and um, and the crowd was 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 passionate. And, and I, I, I you know I wasn't rooting for Team USA a week ago because I wasn't really happy with their with who they the essentially the USA players that showed up. I, I thought that we're missing too many of our good players. But like the, just the intensity and passion of the Dominican fans like like brought back my jingoism and I was just ready to go. I, I was I was just sitting there being like, that's right, USA. I wanna I wanna be out there with uh with uh, one of like Buster Posey's chest you know uh, chest protectors on, uh, waving a flag. Um, so my I just love that entire game, especially once once the uh, the game got real close and they uh, um, the team USA didn't win in the end, but they advanced, so that's all that mattered. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, my favorite individual moment, just because it was, I don't know, just such a reminder of how great the World Series was and how much of a carryover we'll hopefully have into this year being an exciting baseball season was Javi Baez's no-look tag. I mean, it's just, it's such an insular, kind of insignificant moment, <laughs> but, you know, that's the sort of thing that ends up standing out because there have been walk-offs, there have been huge comebacks. The, the Team USA's comeback last night was incredible. Uh, that was an incredible bottom of an eighth inning. But, like, I I love seeing players reacting like, you know, they were kids playing. And, again, it's it's one of those things that only seems acceptable during the playoffs. And seeing it again at a time where, you know, baseball is kind of finding its spot. You have boring stuff like position battles and scrap heat pickups and no real news coming out of spring training. It's just such a refreshing change of place to see players playing at a high level and playing excitedly. Scott? Mine was, I guess I scooped myself, Arenado sliding headfirst in the first base because <laughs> not that it was unequivocally good because it was obviously a terrible idea. Arenado himself broke a finger on a headfirst slide in 2014, so it's not as though he should have even learned from others' experiences. He could just learn from his own broken finger that probably still has a surgical scar in it or what have you. But I think it shows that there really is an excitement, and there are other examples of that. Like, as I mentioned last podcast, Jurickson Profar getting thrown out, 
going from second to third with no outs, trying to switch a double into a triple with Xander Bogarts on deck. I mean, terrible ideas, but in a way, like, that's the most credible indication that these guys are actually excited. Because it's easy after you get a double to do a fist pump, to act like you're excited, you know, USA, USA. But when you actually do something that is high effort and a terrible idea, that's actually a really sure sign that you have all too much adrenaline pumping and you really are excited about this and you got to respect that. How about Tony Pena getting, getting pissed off and thrown out? That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, Tony Pena is like the calmest guy in the world. And, and uh, he was just revved up for Puerto Rico, which is a, a wonderful team to watch. I mean, Puerto Rico was fun last tournament too. But, I mean, this tournament, they're just wrecking. Um, except against Team USA last night. Um, <laughs> I, I watched that one immediately after watching Providence College give up the lead to uh, – uh, to to uh, USC, that was fun. Um, moving on, uh, so this podcast, as, as we've mentioned before, is sponsored by SeepSwapTickets dot com. The founder of that site, his name is Dan. He is a, a former uh, uh, blogger on uh, It's About the Money, and uh, I interviewed him uh, a couple of days ago uh, to talk not only about about seat swap tickets and the company and how he founded it, but we also just start talking about baseball. And uh, we my, my we kind of got on my pet peeves of. Uh, uh, about Yankee Stadium, and, and Dan's a big Yankee fan, and so he had lots to say about how terrible Yankee Stadium is, and and, mm-hmm. and, and all that. Uh, so here's that here's that interview. We're going to be back on the on the on the back side of that interview to talk about uh, Glaber Torres, but here it is. We're now joined by Dan Marcus of SeatSwapTickets.com. Dan, how are you? Oh man, I'm great. Uh, we just survived the blizzard that never was. So uh, I can't I can't really complain right now. Yeah, and I, I, I'm enjoying my sunny Austin right now. Uh, 71 degrees. My air conditioning broke, and it's a problem this week. So uh, say hello. Oh uh, yeah, we're all we're all, we're all we're all shedding tears for you up here in uh, in the Northeast. Oh, it's a it's a struggle. Uh, so so Dan is the uh, the founder, the CEO, the person behind SeatSwapTickets.com, who sponsors this podcast. And we thought we'd have Dan on real quick to. Just to talk a little bit about about this really new and interesting service that I don't think exists really anywhere else in, on the internet, right, Dan? Uh, no, yeah, not really. Um, it's actually it's actually funny uh, if you if you're a big uh, jam band fan or you like the Grateful Dead, they've been doing sort of barter transactions for years. So there there is a little bit of a counterculture that where they actually do ticket swapping amongst. Uh, hippies and deadheads, but it really hasn't gone mainstream where you can do it for uh, sports and other live events or across the event spectrum. So I, I would say, in that respect, we're the first. Yeah, so I love the word barter here um, as, a, as a former wannabe economist. So, Dan, can you explain to, to our listeners how your barter system works? Yeah, sure. What, I mean, they, how can they switch their tickets for something else? I mean, the best way the best way I can explain it is through analogy, right? Like, it's it's as easy as making a fantasy baseball trade. You want to trade one starting pitcher for a, a first baseman and a utility player? You can do that, but with your tickets, that's the same experience. Um, but more specifically, what you do with seat swap is that if you're a season ticket holder and it turns out you can't go to an event or you want to see what's out there and make a deal or a trade up, if you feel like you're want to channel your inner Brian Cashman, uh, we let you tell us what tickets that you have on hand. So you tell us, you tell SeatSwap what is it you're looking to trade away. Um, you upload it when you have your PDF or your mobile ticket, you upload it to the system. And once you have that, you're good to go and you can see what's out there and you can see it in two different ways. Uh, the first is your traditional kind of like browse experience where you can do it by event type and obviously you can search for 
whatever it is that you like. If you want to search for the Yankees, you want to search for Hamilton tickets, you want to search for whatever. Whatever your heart desires you can think of, that's fine. That's one way to do it. And the other way, and the, the way we really covet, and uh, what we think is going to be cool for average Joe fans like you and me, is that you can find tickets also by user. So every the thing about that's unique about SeatSwap is that every ticket has a name and a face. So whereas if you go on StubHub, you'll see a piece of inventory that you don't know where it comes from. Most of the time it comes from a broker who's marking it up probably at least 300%. Uh, with us, it's the guy that sits next to you in Section 408 or you know Joe, Joe from Section 112. And uh, we let you follow these people. So if there's someone that has consistently good inventory, like someone that has legend seats that's always uh, has things come up on them or you know we can't use them, etc., uh, you can create a list of people that you want to follow on Twitter to be able to get updates on their um, on their inventory and what they're doing. Uh, like mechanically about the swap, you can you can trade across ticket types and uh, ticket and event types as well. And we also let you request the, – the other cool thing that people don't realize about us is that we let you also request and add cash on top of the transaction. So when you see, like, for example, in, in like, regular baseball trades, you see, like, someone someone is trading uh, Reed Brignac for a minor leaguer in cash considerations. We also let you add those cash considerations by adding – by offering your tickets plus, let's say, like, 20 bucks or whatever else you want to throw on top, and that goes both ways. So uh, I mean, hopefully, hopefully that covers it soup to nuts. That, that that sounds really interesting. Now I'm, I'm I'm curious. So Isaac Newton had his moment where a, uh, an apple fell from a tree, and he came up with the uh, theory of gravity, or the, the, the one of his one of his three laws. So I'm curious, what was that moment of inspiration for you? So why why did you end up uh, creating this website? Uh, funny funny thing, Yankees Yankees hook again. Uh, I was at tw- uh, the 2012 ALCS game one, uh, Yankees versus Tigers. I'm, I'm sure you remember pretty intimately. Oh yeah. Um, I was sitting with my dad, and so what we've done for the past like seven years is that we get a cheap partial plan for let's say twenty bucks to be able to have the right to buy playoff tickets, and we did that, and we got cheap tickets for the ALCS right up, right up in the upper deck, like one of the last two rows near the air conditioner, really loud, terrible. I'm looking around, and there's no one there. It's unbelievable. It's you're four games away from the World Series, and it looked like no, it looked like it was a Tuesday game in April. So, if you'll remember, the the left field grandstand and terrace seats were completely empty. Uh, you know, right right in that left field corner. So I told I told my dad I said, listen, let's let's go down there. It's clear that no one's sitting there. And we moved down and I look around. And I'm like, this there's something that has to be wrong here. It's impossible that these tickets aren't sold. It's just there just must be something wrong and inefficient with the market. Um, so I went home, I looked on StubHub, and it turned out that there were just thousands of tickets that hadn't been used because either people misgaged, you know, uh, weren't able to gauge demand correctly, or uh, for what for whatever reason, it just it just wasn't it just wasn't working out for these people that had the tickets. And when you see thousands of tickets that go dormant, that's people that lost money when they paid for them and weren't able to get anything out of them. And on the other side, there's people that would have otherwise gone to an event, but because of awareness or because they thought it was too expensive or whatever reason, they didn't get to go. So it was right there that I really decided to put pen to paper. It was kind of like, <coughs> I, I'm sure I can't use expletives on the, on this program, but it was oh, like you can. the... You can oh, yeah. all you want. Okay, yeah, it was like, I call it the fuck it moment. 
it's like I understand the risks. I understand. <laughs> I understand every way in which this could go wrong. But fuck it, no one else is doing anything about it. Let's let's go for it. So it was very seat of the pants. I was still in college at the time. And I didn't know I didn't know anything about computer programming. I just knew I wanted to build something cool that people like myself could use. So the next time I had a vacation come in between Yankees Red Sox tickets, I could get to another Yankees Red Sox series with the tickets that I already had instead of having to go through the whole hassle of going through the secondary market or whatever. So I'd say that was that was the moment that I decided, but it was kind of kicking around for a while. So let's talk. Let's talk fees. So what's it going to cost me to swap my tickets uh, on this on this website? Oh well, right now, shameless plug for everyone that listens to the It's About the Money podcast. If you use the promo code SWAP, it will cost you nothing. Um, but but for normal people that that don't get to seat swap through us or don't use the promo code, it's it's flat rate no matter what. So our price point's still floating because we're really trying to find our sweet spot or equilibrium. We don't want to. We don't want to Netflix you guys. We don't want to overestimate or underestimate where that where that point is. <laughs> but right now it's sitting at about five dollars per ticket. So our assumption is that you'll for, at least for the first two you'll do you'll do a two for two swap, and uh, we don't we don't take into account what they're worth, what you paid for them. At the retail level or face value, we want it to be flat rate, transparent, no matter what, and it's to be progressive for every ticket after that. Progressive for every ticket after that. So, right, so I go to, I go to seatswaptickets.com <laughs> slash members, right? And I use the pro- promo code SWAP S W A P, and that's going to waive the fees for my first transaction for the long term. What um, for the foreseeable future? Uh, I think I think we're we're just committed to seeing how many people actually actually like what we're doing in its current iteration <coughs> and more importantly people people that buy in on us early we're, we're committed to serving them so it's going to be for the foreseeable future as we work out i don't want to say we work out kinks but i'd say we really want to iterate based upon the feedback of people that care the most that would really want to use this so we're not going to necessarily uh hit them up right off the bat um, we're gonna take we're gonna take their feedback and build the product that they want as opposed to making our best guesstimation. Well, yeah, Dan, I wanna I, I wanna move on and, and and just ask you a couple of questions about the Yankee Stadium because I, this is I I'm I live in Texas now. Uh, I lived in Washington D.C. before I lived in Texas, so I've been to a few games at Yankee Stadium since the new since they moved into the new stadium. I was lucky enough to go to the last game at the old stadium and the first game at the new stadium, and I went to a few that year, and then I went to a couple this past year. And I do not like Yankee Stadium right now. To me, they are they are lazy about their in-game entertainment, and they uh, they're you know the 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 Yankees have been, uh, do the same you know ten um, songs and promos and and traditions that they've been doing since I was a kid. And I I would love for the Yankees just to spice it up. I go to the, I go to other games and they're they're having a lot more fun in the ballpark than the Yankees are. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, I think Ozzie Guillen said it best during the 2009 World Series telecast when he said that, uh, and, I'll, and I'll quote, that the new Yankee Stadium is like a, a shopping mall or a shopping mall, uh, mm. and it's and it's true. It it's I think it's happened with a lot of the venues across the area, all the new venues specifically, is that there's been like a gentrification where they push the quote unquote. I don't want to say quote unquote. It's true. They push the fans that make the event worth going to. You know, the ones the ones that are a little bit rough, more rough around the edges that'll start fights on a Friday night, but they're the ones that used to make the old stadium rock. Those guys got priced out because it's just simply too expensive. So I think the 
the focal point with all these venues has been the the corporate clients, the premium seating, the clubs, the the legend suite, the Mohegan Sun Sports Bar, as opposed to the bleacher creatures and the guys the guys that give the the Yankee. I mean, especially old stadium. Let's let's talk more recent history, like the the '90s, early 2000s dynasty teams that gave that gave going to those games the character and the atmosphere that you came to know and love. Now it's just it, it any anyone can come through. It's a lot of tourists. It's a lot of casual fans. It's 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 not the same by any means, but it's not simply isolated to Yankee Stadium. But I think Yankee Stadium is one of the worst. Yeah, worst it doesn't have personality. Is my my problem right? It, it's yeah. the it's the same you know the same boring classic rock songs you hear on one hundred four point three. It's there's no there's no mascot. There's nothing that really makes me feel like a Yankee fan right? They, like they're they're kind of riding on the the history and atmosphere. I think the food, the food choices to me are, are the best example of this. If I go down to Washington D.C. and I used to, I used to live three blocks away from the stadium there. Loved, loved that that stadium down in Washington D.C. I could get Shake Shack, right? I could go to these, you know, the, these really cool like local ish Shake Shack yeah. is, not, is not national, but like like vendors who make me like interesting food that I wouldn't get in other places. If I go to if I go to to, to Boston and I go to um, the uh, the Boston Garden uh, to, to watch a Bruins game, I can get clam chowder and legal seafood. And in New York, I can get a cheeseburger, I can get a hot dog, I can get some ice cream, uh, but I can't get anything special, anything interesting. And it's New York City, right? New York City should be able to provide the most interesting, like diverse, weird food you could possibly ask for. Yeah, it's 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 ironic. It's ironic as as all hell, to be honest with you, because you look across town, the the Mets for all of their misgivings and their well documented problems, they 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 knocked it out of the park. No no baseball pun intended with City Field, especially on the food level, because they have. I don't know if you're familiar with all of these. Uh, I guess local New York ones that have that have New York uh, food franchises that have become more prominent over the last few years, but they have Fuku. They have uh, Hill Country Bar. I think no, they have Blue Smoke. They have a Shake Shack, which is well documented. They have the Keith Hernandez Burger, which is which is of their own creation, which is fantastic. Um, actually, funny story is that w- when during the SNY days uh, with the, it's about the money when I was when I was doing more writing, uh, I I went and covered uh, some of the Subway Series games as a credential media member, sitting right behind Ken Rosenthal, by the way, and. No, 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 no name drop intended either, but <laughs> but the the food offering just walk around walk around that that building is so much better than walking around Yankee Stadium, and it's not even like you mentioned, it's not even the music choices or anything like that. It's just it it feels like a ballpark, right? Like it's got it's got all the familiar trappings, whereas the Yankees decided to go the commercial route, and we all know how that turned out. I mean, it's almost a cliche to say that Camden Yards is the best place in the world to watch a baseball game, but it's so much fun to watch a baseball game there because it has personality. You know, you you smell the barbecue from from out in center field. You know, you 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 walk around and you feel like you're in, in some place that has identity. Whereas you walk around Yankee Stadium and you feel like you're in not even an amusement park. I mean, you feel like you're in a corporate office. Um, there's just it, it's um, and it's not you know they don't they don't have to tear the place down and rebuild it to solve this, right? I, I think they can, I think, I think that, you know, the food vendors are, are, are one way to start, but I also think that their, their in-game entertainment can, can be just more interesting, right? They can, you know, maybe they actually bring out a mascot. Want, do you want What's sausage that? races? Do you want the president races like they have in Washington? I, I don't want them to copy from anybody, but yeah, I mean, I, I want something, right? Like, like I, I you know, something, 
the, the president races sound kind of dumb, but like down in Washington, it was fun because every every single time or very often there would be something crazy. Like they they would just think of some twist on the president race. So, um, for example, Teddy Roosevelt never. Uh, was allowed to win for the first like six years they were there, and then they make they make the playoffs right, and it's the fourth inning, and in the first game of the playoffs, Teddy wins right, like and the crowd just goes nuts, like I like that the the crowd explodes because Teddy Roosevelt won a, a foot race like in between innings. Um, I, I was joking with actually with a friend of mine at the time. I remember it was his idea, and he uh, he goes, you know what they should have done is they should have waited uh, for to to let Teddy win until they need like a rally. So that you know that you know they, they energize the the crowd. They make everybody cr- go crazy because Teddy wins, and then they yeah. get the next score four runs. In, ca- in case in case of emergency, break break Teddy glass. Yeah. Right, but they also had times where like you know on on Easter, like the Easter Bunny would like pop out of nowhere and tackle one of them or something like that. Like that that was that was just made being in the ballpark fun. And you know I don't think that they should you know they should like put together a bunch of focus groups and come up with the best things that all the other teams have done and and create like your. Philly fanatic, Green Monster, Milwaukee Brewer guy, whoever that guy actually is, um, like hybrid, and you know that become like the, the that that's what the Yankees, that's like what the the the, the corporate Yankees would do. But I, I think they need to they need to kind of work some some something different in there, something that makes me identify as a Yankee yeah, fan. I, th- I think every what it is ballpark has that. Is I think I think the Yankees believe that that's beneath them because the Yankees are so committed mm. to this persona of this first class organization. Where they're they're head, they think they're head and shoulders above doing those things because a lot of those other teams they do they do those promotional nights and, and they do those more or less corny hokey gimmicks to be able to bring people to the ballpark and the Yankees are more along the lines of let's let's let our on field play do the talking. Unfortunately, as, as we both know, that hasn't been the case for a number of years now. So that's that's been a lot a, a large part of their problem. And they also an, another thing that I think that goes overlooked is that they strictly abide by like the modern day baseball cast system, where let's say for example, it's a very moderately to poorly attended game on 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 a given weeknight. If you're someone that bought tickets that is sitting up high but it notices a lot of seats that are unoccupied down low, they they put so much effort and attention and focus into not letting people move down, even though even though it would create more, I guess, customer satisfaction, right? People just be like, okay, I'm glad you're cool with the fact that I can move down, it's not well attended, etc. But it by no it's like the hardest thing to do. I think it would be easier to sneak into the stadium through security than it would be to sneak once you're in the stadium into the legend seats. Not that we're recommending you do it either. Um, you know, I think the um, the the performance thing is kind of like an easy fallback. They can be like, "Well, when our roster gets better, we'll um, we'll win again." First off, the Yankees, I believe, are leading lead baseball in wins over the last five years, and they're still having empty seats. And even in the playoffs in 2012, when they're four games away from the World Series, like you like you told us about at the beginning of this podcast, they still have a ton of empty seats. It's not an exciting atmosphere like the way that it used to be. Um, maybe that's because, um, you know, even in 2012, you had a lot of kind of pasture prime type guys, and there was nobody really exciting on that team. There was no Derek Jeter on that team. Um, but, you know, they shouldn't have to win the World Series three years in a row to sell out their stadium. So it's a great question. I mean, honestly, there there are, there are like, ticket-specific inside baseball things going on that that are driving that for a large part. Because like demand-based the, yeah, yeah. ticket pricing? 
Yeah, demand, you could call it demand-based ticket pricing, but a lot of the Yankees' problem is that their tickets are overpriced. in Like, their retail inventory is overpriced inventory. So the problem that that we solve not not to not to bring it back to like a self uh, you know shameless <laughs> self promotion, but a lot of the problem that you have, especially with dwindling on field performance, is that even even if the team is good, it's just too tough to be able to recoup what you paid for these this inventory on the secondary market if that's what you anticipate doing when you buy them. Right, most people buy. 81 baseball games, which is a crazy proposition to, to anyone, even the most, even the biggest baseball fan. 81 baseball games is a lot to go to if you have a day job or a normal life. It's borderline impossible. So if you're going to make this investment with the idea that you're going to be able to recoup um, your money by selling off, let's say, 50% of the games or 25% of the games, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's it's become it's become so ridiculous as far as like just being able to move an average game if you're not a professional ticket seller that people are just dropping them left and right. I have people, I, I, I've talked to people that have, that are like in, that are in finance that do equity trading and are familiar with the operation markets and they, and they, they have making season tickets and they're because, because of the way the market functions and how inefficient it is, they've, they've dropped it all together because they realize it's a losing proposition. And it's a terrible investment. So that's, that's part of what is driven, I guess the empty seats. And because, you're not you're not getting what you paid for. You're not getting the bang for your bucks, especially when you factor in the forty dollars to park for a regular game and the eleven dollar Bud Lights, which is I know par for the course everywhere, but still a ridiculous thing to ask for. So it's 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 a it's a, it's a perfect storm of just a lot of a lot of oversight on the Yankees' part and uh, an unwillingness to change. Tell you, I was at a University of Texas uh, baseball game the other day, and I paid three dollars for my ticket, and I paid nine dollars for my beer. And I had three beers, so it uh, yeah, yes. that, that's definitely a problem everywhere. But I agree with you completely. I, I think the I think you're solving a problem um, that you know the a traditional economics you know economics 101 market would would have a market clearing price for all these tickets, and these tickets would all be eventually sold, and nothing would ever be sold out. Um, but I think people just feel a little fuzzy about selling their tickets sometimes, especially if you know they're a season ticket holder and they're not going to be at just a couple of games. Uh, my parents are season ticket holders with the New Jersey Devils, and I know that they, they, they just wouldn't feel comfortable selling their tickets. They'd rather the ticket either be empty or just kind of give it away to a friend. Mm-hmm. I think this is giving them another option that they might, they might feel a little better on, trading with somebody else. Well, yeah, I, well, what, what we want to do ultimately is like we're, we're, also, we're also doing this as well, and if people that are interested – that are listening, you can go to seatswaptickets.com slash season tickets, and we are verifying actual season ticket holders in a, in a very manual way, but we want it to be, um, we want we want there to be assurances, and we want you to have faith in, in who it is that you're dealing with. So if, for example, you're a Yankee fan, or if, for example, you're like your parents at a devil's tickets, right, and you don't want your tickets ending up in enemy hands, or you don't want to go through the... <laughs> Yeah, so for, for real, it's a, it's, it's a. So my, it's a, my mother wouldn't have to sell to a would be able to like discriminate against Rangers fans. Yeah, I, listen, I, as my 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 legal background says that's something that I shouldn't that I shouldn't say. Use the term discriminate. Yeah, yeah I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to say discriminate because we do. We're we're an equal opportunity. Everything. <laughs> but, okay, so if my if my mother did not like the idea of a Ranger fan sitting in her seats. She could have the option to possibly swap with a different person. Exactly. Yes. That 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 is the goal. That is that is the goal. And that's and that's why we give every like I said, there has to be an, there has to be an element of transparency that just does that isn't there right now. So 
that's one of the things. So as it, just like on Twitter, where you would see the real check mark next to the real EJ Fagan, hopefully one day, and the real Dan Marcus, hopefully one day, um, on SeatSwap, we're trying to do the same thing, verifying uh, your seat location, the fact that you're a season ticket holder, and, and I guess more importantly, to people like your mother, their, their actual fandom. How we do that right. is, is an ever-changing process, but I, we're trying to be rigorous with it. If anybody here listening is a New Jersey Devils season ticket holder, you have an obligation instead of giving your t- – t- to make sure that if you decide to get rid of your ticket and give it away or trade it uh, for, for a Rangers game, it does not go to a Rangers fan because they're assholes. Uh, they're not fun in the stadium. I am perfectly fine uh, using the uh, discriminate word uh, when talking about Rangers fans, uh, though in jest. Dan, thank you very much for coming on. Again, our listeners can go to seatswaptickets.com slash members and use the promo code SWAP to, uh, to have your fees, wa- uh, we, uh, fees waived and kind of get it on the ground floor of this uh, really exciting website. Uh, Dan, any, any last words? Uh, well, no. Well, First of all, thank you, EJ, for having me on. I, I appreciate it. I, I, I love the fact that we were able to do this. Um, one thing to add as, as a bonus to, to the little plug you just put in there is that the promo code SWAP not only will it get you free swaps and free use of our platform, but it also gets you $20 off your next ticket purchase from our partners over at SeatGeek.com. I'm sure if you listen to sports podcasts or any podcast, you've heard their promos. Um, you can use the promo code SWAP when you use the SeatGeek app or if you go on SeatGeek.com, and they will send you a $20 rebate towards your next ticket purchase. So we're basically handing you free money to go buy tickets just for filling out the form to use our website. All right, Dan, thank you for coming on. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay, we're back. And uh, Gleyber Torres has been having quite the spring. Um, and, and, he, and not only that, but he's, he's, been, he's been on a streak uh, in, in his last couple of games. So in the Arizona Fall League, uh, Gleyber Torres was 19 years old and, and, and won the league MVP and was just, was just insane. And in the spring so far, he's, uh, he's also gone on, 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 a, on a hot streak. And between those two... Um, Dominic has has uh, has calculated the stat his stat line. He has not told either Scott and I what the stat line is combined between the two. So Dominic, can you tell us what uh, what Torres has been hitting lately? Okay, I'm gonna put it into the chat first, so you can hear the live reaction of EJ and Scott. I'm hoping to hear something funny, uh, so this doesn't fall completely flat. But just for those of you keeping track at home, uh, between the fall league and spring training to date. He has accumulated 85 at-bats and 100 plate appearances total. So. so a lot of playing time. This isn't just like a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, this is this is close to a month's worth of playing time. All right, so Dominic, give us give us the stat. Holy shit. Oh, uh, okay, uh, the stat line is over the last 100 uh, plate appearances. <laughs> 424, 510, 765 with nine doubles, two triples, five home runs. Uh, damn. Uh, Dominic, uh, what do you, how do you think we should interpret, uh, this stat line? Uh, he's the second coming of Christ. No, I, (laughs) I, it's, it's something that I'm very happy to see. I think the biggest takeaway from this is there were a lot of people kind of poo-pooing Gleyber Torres being ranked as high as I think third is the highest he was ranked on top hundred prospect lists. People who scout the stat lines and everything. And... This is something that's just good to see from a player playing against advanced competition because even though a lot of spring training games and Arizona Fall League games, you're facing people who aren't going to make rosters and people who don't um, really have a shot of making the majors or people from the low minors, but 
Glaber Torres, like you said, he just turned 20. He was in the low minors last year, and he's doing this. I, I mean, at the very least, it proves that he's more than ready for double A. Um, I mean, if the Yankees were feeling super ambitious, I might even skip him over double A entirely. I know that's kind of crazy talk, but um, it, it makes me think that he's the type who could be in the majors by the end of the season, depending on what they do. I, I want to get to that question in a second, because I think that that is the most interesting part of this question of, 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 of our reaction to that new information. But first I want to get to Scott. So Scott, how should we, how would you interpret or how do you interpret um, his performance between the Arizona fall league and spring so far? Yeah, I think take it for what it's worth. The guy's really good at honkball. So he hit like that in both places um, against what is not full major league competition, but for a guy who'd only seen high A pitching before and did well but not anything like this level of tearing it up at high A, this is unbelievable. So I think he developed quickly. Um, I tend to take the view that, yeah, you could jump him uh, to AAA. Now that would be quick. Maybe there's no rush with a tr- guy who just turned 20. But on the other hand, and I'm willing to be proven wrong because I don't know minor league baseball and coaching and whatnot, but it always struck me that when you have someone moving up so quickly, that means he's going to be acquainted with the double-A hitting coach really soon, and he'll know that fellow for six weeks of his life. And then he'll be the triple-A hitting coach and be acquainted with that guy for seven weeks of his life. And the same for whoever does fielding in those places. And he'll work with the same shortstop in each of those for only a little bit. So I really feel like if you put him at triple-A, you could have him be there for basically most of or a full year. Even if he has a slow start, he's not far off from AAA quality yet, given what he can do to Arizona Fall League pitching and also spring training where there's a mix of major league pitchers and whatnot. So I feel like it might benefit him to be a AAA. I mean, there's the open question about what you do with him. But one last thing about his stat line is almost the most, maybe I worry about strikeouts more than most, but when you have a guy who's tearing it up in the minors, you wonder if he's just swinging hard and accepting the strikeouts because he'll hit a zillion home runs and doubles off mistakes. But he's not doing that because in the Arizona Fall League, he struck out only one out of every 10 plate appearances about. He drew more walks than strikeouts. So the game is complete for this guy, it seems like. there's He's not doing anything that seems like a bad idea, like swinging too hard at everything. Or there's one prospect on another team who he does this weird short swing where he goes in this deep crouch. And they're saying, yes, he's hitting in the 330s at multiple minor league levels, but that's not going to fly in the majors. So it strikes me that Torres is doing everything right. Yeah, you know, I think the the way to think about this is is you know this is an extended hot streak, right? This is a hundred plate appearances, which is a lot of plate appearances, and it's not like a, even like a true talent level. Not, if you left him at the Arizona Fall League for 150 games, he wouldn't hit. Yeah, he wouldn't hit 400. Um, few players would, but I think that um, good players have hot streaks. Great players have great hot streaks, and they last longer, and they occur more frequently. So I think about this the same way I think about Gary Sanchez uh, coming up last season. Whereas Gary Sanchez, the version of Gary Sanchez, who is an okay prospect, who's like a a 450 slugging percentage long-term kind of guy, doesn't hit 20 home runs in a month and a half in his career, ever, period. Uh, Whereas Gary Sanchez, who is a 530 career slugging percentage potential, you know, like 
longtime all-star Hall of Fame type hitter, well, that player does have months where he hits 20 home runs. And he has he has seasons where that, you know, he has a couple of those months and all of a sudden he hits 40 home runs in those seasons and wins an MVP award. And I think that's what we're seeing with Gleyber Torres right now is that we're seeing we're seeing the best of Gleyber Torres and what what the best version of Gleyber Torres looks like. And I think there's some interesting information in here, right? There's there's lots of home runs, there's lots of doubles and triples, there's not a lot of strikeouts. Um, these are all there's not a lot of walks, by the way. Um, I think that is that's the Gleyber Torres that we can think of. I, I saw someone compare him to the other day, the version of Starlin Castro we all thought Starlin Castro was going to be. Um, and I think that's a good comparison, right? Like we're seeing a guy with just tons of skills that when he's hot, translate into real solid baseball value. Now there's questions of how often is he going to get hot, right? Like Chris Carter will have hot streaks where he looks like where he looks like Babe Ruth and they'll, he'll have months and months and months of batting 150. Um, so far his, you know, his profile, his batted ball profile and his, his minor league statistics don't suggest that Gleyber Torres is that type of player, which is a good thing. And just like Gary Sanchez's, you know, uh, statistics suggested that at minimum he was a 450 slugging percentage player. And then all of a sudden he kind of, he puts into another gear and we see what those hot streaks are going to look like. Um, so maybe when he's not on a hot streak, Gleyber Torres is a 400 slugging percentage player or a 430 slugging percentage player. But you mix in one or two of these every season, and all of a sudden you've got an all-star. And to me, that's that's the good news about Gleyber Torres. And, and, and what we've kind of – he's demonstrated proof of concept uh, this spring that I think justifies that top five prospect rating. I think it's also worth noting that this is the first time ever that he's not taking walks in this, you know, 23 at-bat sample in – spring training because his uh his walk rate actually jumped significantly when he went from uh single a to high a and then it was at 18.4 percent in the fall league so in the fall league it was almost like they were pitching around him and he was taking those pitches but when he could drive get a ball and drive it he drove the hell out of it so i'm kind of interested to see what happens as he goes up more levels with that because spring training might be this example that scott was saying of a guy just swinging at everything he thought he could hit and it paying off but I don't think that's really the guy he is the one who swings at everything unless that's the new version of him but that doesn't really jibe with what we saw last year and, and you know I think that there's like there's other important information to add in here right he's a pretty good shortstop he might end up as a second baseman third baseman but you know if if Didi Gregorius wasn't there he, this is probably a future shortstop he's good at defense um, he's young. He's still very young for his age, and has room to grow. And I think so this, yeah, this hot streak, you know, it's you know, it's basically a month of a regular season, adding Arizona fall and spring training. So, guys can have good months and not actually be good players. If you were to look up Starling Castro's career, I'm sure he had one month where he was awesome. But this hot streak is so good that I don't think it's likely that a guy who doesn't have a major league future has this kind of performance. I mean, I joked, I did a jokey search last podcast showing that the following Yankees have had an over 900 OPS in spring training in the past <laughs> couple of years. Rob Refsnyder, Zola Amante, etc. And guys I don't even remember as well as those. But they have a 1275 OPS uh, against competition that includes at least some percentage of major leaguers. It's so astounding that it's, it's not like Sanchez's start. I mean, could he... Um, never hit that well again, sure, but guys who don't have above-average major league talent never have a stretch like that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's also worth noting that like everybody in camp seems to be slugging over 600 right now. Um, you know, you've got Matt Holiday slugging 643, Aaron Hicks 643, 
Uh, Kyle Higashioka, 824. Gary Sanchez, 839. Billy McKinney, 933. Uh, Craig Bird, 1065. Um, yeah, there's clearly not a... The, the Yankees are clearly seeing, like, relatively easy pitching. I mean, that, that doesn't mean that what Greg Bird, uh, what, uh, Greg Bird or Glaber Torres are doing is meaningless. It certainly is not meaningless. But most of those um, numbers are not so stratospheric. So it's, it's a good point you made. But basically, if you scale them downward, most of these guys that you just read, it's stuff in the 800s and 900s OPS. So if I scale everybody down 150 points of OPS, then yeah, it's okay, still amazing. he still has <laughs> like 1125 OPS. Yeah. Still Barry Bonds of spring training in Arizona Fall League. Right. That's just my tiny little bit of cold water on what I think is still a very point. blazing fire. So the second question, Dominic kind of brought this up earlier. Now, what should we do with Labor Torres? So it seems like Labor Torres is going to be um, ready to at least be an above replacement level major league player soon. Let's say he starts at double A. Let's say he plays all over the diamond. So he's available at second, short, third. Um, and let's say he gets off to a pretty hot streak. Not, not like a 1000 OPS hot streak, but like a he hits very well. Um, in the first, we'll say, month and a half. It's May 15th. He's hitting 320, 400, 550 at double at, at A. Dominic, what do you do with Gleyber Torres? Unless there's something terrible happening with Starling Castro and or um, Didi Gregorius, I mean, I'm I'm keeping him in the minors for a while because I don't think... I don't want to rush him. I want him to show for a while that is for real. I want to see things be sustained. Um, I mean, that's one of the things I like about what the Yankees did with Aaron Judge. He had, um, once he started going up the chain, he spent, I think it was something like 50 games or 200, 250 plate appearances at each level. Not that they're really comparable comparable, uh, prospects or anything like that, but he kind of had to show his keep, earn his keep, and I think that that's a good way to go about it. so, I mean, at the minimum, I'm making Torres, barring an injury, barring something else like that, um, I'm letting Torres spend, you know, at least half the season in the minors. And then from there, I mean, I don't know if, I think you got to trade somebody. I don't think you could bench Gregorius or Castro. I mean, I guess you could bench Castro or fire him out of a cannon or something, but <laughs> I, I think it's going to be dependent on what they're doing as much as it depends on what Torres is doing. Yeah, Scott, what, what has to happen for you to call up Labor Torres? And when would you, when would be, when'd you start considering it? Well, first, let me just give my pissy still bitter about something comment, which is that if it were the late 80s when I started paying attention to the Yankees, then they would definitely trade him for Nelson Cruz, like right away. <laughs> that would be basically the trade to the Mariners of Jay Buhner for Ken Phelps. So, yeah, but I'll get over that any decade now. I think that I'm with down on that... Yeah, you can't call him up anything crazy like right now. I mean, there's these there are these articles being written about where his spot is. I'm not troubled by the where his spot is, and that talent tends to find this place. It's not that likely he comes up by the All Star break, even if he's hitting the tar out of it in Double A for a month and a half. They'll let him stay there for a month and a half or two, and then go to Triple A for a month and a half or two, and then before you know it, it's pretty late in the season. I think spots tend to open up when there's talent. I haven't really seen that many instances just in history of there's this great prospect but there's nowhere to play him so he just marinates and never plays sure there are examples but not that many and it's usually when a guy's blocked at one position where you can't move him around like catcher and even last year McCann was still adequate but they made room for uh, Sanchez so I think a couple things first 
Headley's been holding up better than we thought after the trade for him a couple years back, but he still is a 32-year-old playing a position that requires you to dive a lot. He's actually about to turn 33, so I'm not confident that he's going to hold up necessarily, so it's good to have someone who could back up. Castro is just not very good. Um, He's fine. I don't think he's killing the team at second base, but let's say everybody else is doing great, and then Torres ends up looking like the Gary Sanchez of 2016 between AAA and some early at-bats and a call-up. You know, if you demote Castro to super sub, then you just have a deep team. Hooray! That's not a bad thing, actually. And it's not like Castro has earned anything more than that. He's adequate as a second baseman, uh, but he's not much better than the super sub role. It's not an injustice. As shown by the fact that they tried to shop him around and they didn't get good value, apparently, for him in the trade market. So nobody else thinks he's really a premium regular player, even a probably not an average regular player. In the best or worst case scenario, depending on how you look at it, Headley stays healthy. Castro stays just adequate enough to not lose the job. Well, Didi has some real trade value. I mean, why not? He's the best of the three by war. Um, he's still not even arbitration eligible until next year. So why not see if he'll fit something? They tried to shot Castro, and he's obviously the guy who is most dispensable. But Didi has basically been an above average shortstop who can really play shortstop, which has real value. So I think that they'll try to make room. They might demote Castro. They might find that Someone declines or gets hurt, maybe Headley, or they'll just trade Didi, but that would be a happy eventuality that you can get real value for a shortstop. I mean, I think it matters where the Yankees are in the season, kind of when, when this, this this comes up. I, I wrote an article on the site uh, this morning, and the argument I made was that the Yankees could actually win the division. Um, kind of, I, my, I made my little sneaky way of doing it, which is uh, basically saying that the Yankees could make up the ground between them and the Red Sox just in matchups where the Yankees have a right-handed hitting matching lineup and the Red Sox have a left-handed pitching uh, pitching staff. And I could absolutely see the Yankees just feasting on the corpses of David Price and Chris Sale and Rowena uh, Elias and Eduardo Rodriguez and Drew Pomeranz and all these, all these lefties they're going to roll out. Um, and so if the Yankees are, are out of it, if they're having a bad season, then yeah, I think, I think it's smart to start thinking about trading a Castro or a, or Gregorius. But I also, I like the idea of, of Castro becoming a bench player, right? He's better than Ronald, Ronald Torres, right? And, you know, this problem with Headley, Castro, and Gregorius isn't going away anytime soon. Like, they're going to be around next year, too. And, yeah, maybe maybe if Torres is tearing it up in the minors, first you promote him to AAA, and then, you know, it's July and August, and you kind of bring him up as, like, a part-time-ish kind of thing. Um, or you, tempor- or you quote, temporarily demote one of the, uh, the other three guys. But, you know something, I, I think that, you know, it's entirely possible that there's no spot that is made for Gregorius by someone else failing. Uh, by, I'm sorry, for Torres by someone else failing. And what you just got to do is you just got to just at some point say, we're going with the young guy. And, you know, Castro's a decent player, but he's at best an average player and probably an above, a below-average player. And Torres has a shot at being the next Derek Jeter. And as much as we all love Mariano Duncan, um, or not Mariano Duncan, who's, playing, who's supposed to play shortstop in 95 for Jeter? Wasn't it Tony Fernandez? Tony Fernandez. As yeah. much as we all love Tony Fernandez, he's no Derek Jeter. And, you know, I, I think that Torre, uh, Torres gets the, gets the spot if he's killing it, killing it. I don't think you should promote him right out of double-A, though. I think I think he does he does very well at Double A. Let's say and in, including it in a very very tough hitting environment. We should not be shocked if uh, if Gleyber Torres in a, in a tough hitting environment is um, is it has a 
decent batting line, but not a great batting line. Um, just in in that in, in in there, it's very very hard to hit for power with Trenton in, in, in the early season. Um, but then you promote him to Scranton, you promote him to AAA, and you let him see if he can do the same thing at AAA. There's no harm in, in taking the incremental approach. I think we we've rushed prospects before, and I haven't been crazy about it. And the Yankees have shown a lot of patience lately and unwillingness to uh, to uh, to rush those kind those kind of prospects. You've also said um, something that has bugged me about this team. It's a minor point because bench players don't really affect the team by more than a half win here or there or one win, but they really don't have a backup shortstop in that Castro has been a shortstop in the past and can still be adequate or fake it solidly. Yeah, shortstop, but, but, if, but if he doesn't play more than two to three games a year and last year he played three games of shortstop, it could atrophy. So they're left with Ronald Torres, whom they love. And I think he's cute and all, but the, <laughs> I looked up the range factors of Didi, Starlin and Torres, and that's an incomplete stat, but it just makes a point here. Both Starlin, when he was a shortstop, and Didi are basically in the low fours as a range factor, 4.1, thereabouts, 4.2. Torres' range factor at shortstop last year um, was 3.09. And more broadly, his defensive run save totals were horrifically negative at shortstop and bad at second base too, actually. So I think Torres is really, really not a backup shortstop. I mean... You, it's better than putting Chris Carter out there, but it's a problem that Didi Gregorius is a shortstop, and then it's not great to move your regular second baseman there, Castro, for not that many games a year, and it'll atrophy. So I think they'd be a better, deeper team if Torres or Castro were to be the backup infielder. Either Castro permanently moved there, which is probably best in a year, or if Torres comes up late enough in the year that you don't displace people, but give him four games a week or something so that he's rotating around and whatnot. And what you'll have spent a couple months doing at double and triple A's building his versatility. He's just started doing some third base, if I read right, if I remember right. Uh, did you guys see that, or is that right? Yes. Yeah, so, so you know, he has some defensive uh, versatility to learn. But, yeah, I think they'd be better off if, uh, Tor- if Torres could play all different positions. But really, if in the long run, Castro becomes a super sub and therefore more of a real backup shortstop. I mean, I'm a little less concerned about short, backup shortstop the, uh, than you are. I mean, Gregorius plays the full game every game. He plays 155 games a year. And Castro was a shortstop up until essentially right before he got traded. Um, so I, I'm I'm less concerned there. And if and if Gregorius got hurt, there's also Tyler Wade to think about, who's also been awesome in spring. Um, so you know, I think the Yankees have lots of options there. And but you know, frankly, thinking about what I just said, maybe maybe I prefer Tyler Wade being to be your long term utility guy over uh, Starlin Castro because he can also play center field in the outfield, um, kind of eliminating the need for an Aaron Hicks type, um, and he's faster and younger and, and all that. I mean, the, the problem is that you know Starlin Castro costs money, and so it's it's hard to deal with that. Um, he's apparently but, not tradable because they tried in the off season. And yeah, you know, I basically agree. But the problem with moving Castro from second to shortstop, if either Gregorius needs 10 days off or, you know, Gregorius could get hurt. Even a healthy, durable, youngish guy can get hurt. Well, moving Castro to short means you have Torres at second base and he was about as bad defensively at second as he was at short, even though second base is easier. So, yeah, I think in the long run, Tyler Wade is probably a better um, option, certainly than Torres and possibly as good as Castro in that role. So, But what that shows is that if you were to trade Didi, for example, because, yes, we'd all prefer to dump Castro, but they tried and didn't get value. If you dump Didi, then you put Torres at shortstop, and either Castro stays a second and Wade is the backup or vice versa, but you're deep enough to do that, 
and Didi possibly could get you real value because they're teams that need a shortstop more than they need a real shortstop who's an above-average player, more than they need a mediocre second baseman like Castro. And, and let's be honest, Gregorius is at best a three-win player, right? And yeah. we're not even sure that he's a three-win player. He might be a two-win player. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's not like we're trading away Bryce Harper here. No, um, it's enough that maybe you can get a starter for him, though, for example. You know, yeah, you're not going to get a number one starter, or you can get a good preaching prospect or a mid-grade starter. And God knows they need a starter because we all saw Luis Sessa pitch last night. Um, so on that note, uh, we're going to say goodbye. Again, we're sponsored by SwapSeatTickets.com. You can rate and review our podcast on iTunes. Um, and uh, thank you guys very much for listening. Everybody stay, stay warm out there in the blizzard. And we'll be back next week with more. It's about the money. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.